Well, it feels good to me to be together with you. I'm so thankful that we can be together on this Lord's Day, whether you're joining us from your home or one of our physical campuses. Shout out with love to Kendall Campus. Shout out with love to Gables Campus. We gather together to celebrate the love of God and to thank Him that He is present and faithful even in our life situations. And so, speaking of that, I need to give a shout out to Pastor Ryan and to all the team last week for such a great job at the 11 o'clock. I understand we had a little bit of excitement that there was a medical emergency of a kind, and I am very thankful today to tell you that Charlie Kimbrell is back, full recovery. His wife Nancy is with him. They're right over here if you want to give them a wave. And I know, Kendall, you're happy about that too. We're all very thankful for our chairman of deacons and thankful for the faithfulness of all of our team who showed up in such record time to do just the right things and that we can be together again today to celebrate that. Sometimes life throws some hard things our way. We've been enduring some hard things our way. I was speaking of hard things, I got this in my pocket today. You know the Bible says um, that, uh, that God can bring honey from the rock. What does that mean? We all know honey doesn't come from rocks. Honey comes from Publix. This, this, is, this is Publix. To those of you joining us from other parts of the world, that's our local grocery chain here, Publix. This is Florida honey from Publix, but I'm bringing it to you today to remind you that God says, I will bring honey from the rock, that God can make the hard place sweet. And we're celebrating that today in Christ's journey. But with you, wherever you are, wherever hard place you might find yourself in right now, some of us are placing, facing some pretty hard times. I was praying with some men this morning. We were praying for friends and family in China, in India, in Brazil, some very hard times in hard places. A friend of ours in Beirut, Lebanon, I was praying with him this week. So what we want to celebrate today is no matter how hard things get in our world, and it's getting pretty hard, that we love a God who is bigger than this world and who loves the whole world, and we're praying that he will find you in your hard place and make it sweet because you've chosen to join with us today. Um, by the way, this is also, Pastor Ryan celebrated a birthday this week. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that, but if you see him, don't tell him I told you, but wish him happy birthday. Okay, so uh, very thankful for Pastor Ryan's leadership and, uh, and for his gift of teaching and pastoring us during this time. I don't know how appropriate it is uh, considered these days to, uh, to say it, but I got to tell you, it is still accurate many times to say, to look at somebody and say, you know what, you look just like your dad. Or is that, and you even talk like him. Or you might say this, you know, you're as beautiful as your mother, only not just your uh, facial features, but I'm talking, I can hear your voice, her voice and your voice inflections. You know, it's like there's no guessing which, uh, which family tree this apple fell from, right? You're dripping with the same DNA. It's not hard to see that you are part of that family. Isn't it something? It seems to get, it seems to get even more so as the years pass. This last uh, month, I guess two weeks ago, I got a photograph from a family from our church that we served in Little Rock, Arkansas. If we got anybody from Little Rock checking us out today. Um, 
and it was a family photograph of some good friends, and uh, the, the man of the house, the patriarch, had passed away some years ago, but I'm telling you, I'm looking at this photograph, and there, I see him right in the middle of that photograph. That's Dr. Bob. You know what? His son, the son has now become the father. I thought I was looking at the spitting image of Dr. Bob in that family photograph, because that's how families are, Right? By the way, if you want to annoy a teenager, tell them, you know, that reminds me of your dad. <laughs> or say, you know, you're, I hear your mother in you. you know, they love it when you say that. Try it and see, see what happens. But, oh, wait, you know what? You, you talk like, you laugh like him. Oh, wait, it's because you're like him. You know why that is? Science tells us every, each parent gives one half of their genetic material to their child. So they are in you, like it or not, this is the way it works. Each parent is now downstream from the gene pool in you. And, um, and those are the facts. And the family traits are embedded in those genes that you got from your parents. Body type, height, size of your feet. The parents see their reflection in your gene pool. So it makes sense when they say, oh, you know what? She has my face. She has my mother's curly hair, her father's brown eyes, and his long, big toes. You know, I mean, this is how family goes. It's in the DNA. Now, one of the DNA sites that I was researching for this message showed a picture of Reese Witherspoon and her daughter. It was like... um, inherited her mother's blue eyes, the shape of her cheekbones, the chin, the nose tip. I mean, it's all right there. It's like, can you tell who this is? Whose kid is that? Not hard to tell. I saw a Father's Day card. Simply said this, Dad, my exquisite charm and my stunning good looks are scientific evidence that you are the best dad ever. (laughs) DNA does that, right? And then I read this article. It said, uh, the, the heading was this, 16 quirky traits you didn't know you inherited. These are not random traits if they've shown up in your life. There's genetic evidence for them being passed on through your inheritance. What, like what? Like tolerance for pain. Did you know that? Tolerance for pain is a genetic trait. Or sneezing at the sun. Th- that comes from your genes. Distinctive facial expressions, whether you love or hate the gym, that's in your genes. Early bird or a night owl, do you love coffee? Do you have sweaty palms? Do you, um, do you have insomnia? That's all in your genes. Or do you have the urge to ski a black diamond? Or were you aggressive as a toddler? They say that's in your genes, how trusting you are. Your sweet tooth. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full. That's what the article says. This is not random. This is in your genes, from your genetics. Geneticsdigest.com reports that DNA tests are right now in high demand. The total number of people tested by consumer genetics companies is projected to double this year for the fourth year in a row. 90 million people checking their DNA to find out. Why? Five reasons, they say, real quickly. Number one, to find your family history. Number two, your ancestry. Where in the world did you come from? Number three, your personal identity. Questions about that. Number four, the best DNA results, they say, bring health indicators. 
health information. And then number five, the community that you can build from it as you connect with relatives, with countries, even royal dynasties that you may have descended from, people check out their genetic backgrounds for that. Well, the reason I'm bringing it up is because today's text talks about the spiritual DNA that you and I come from in our relationship with God. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Would you say that with me? That is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is it didn't know him. Can't recognize him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It's like the goodness of the love of God is so great that we want to make all the room we can so that the purest manifestation of God's love and life can shine through us. And that's what he says. That's why we want to be careful about removing every contaminant that would diffuse his character from shining through our lives. John is saying spiritually what we just talked about physically through DNA. When you trust Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And God's traits are now in you and are going to manifest through you in the same fashion that family traits pass on from parents to children, God's family traits do too. This is what John is talking about. And every believer who has become a child of God now shows family traits that come straight from the Father. Verse 9 says this, because God's seed remains in him. This is first century language for spiritual DNA. God's seed, the Father's seed. And then John's gospel says, John chapter 1, verse 2, 12, it says, for all who believed him, to, all, to those who received him, to those who believe in his name, believe uh, means put their trust in his character, he gave this authority, this right to become children of God. Children not born of nature, of natural descent, or of human decision, or the will of a father. He's paralleling it with this physicality that we understand about family traits being passed. But he says we are being born supernaturally. So the spiritual birth that makes you part of God's spiritually alive family also brings with it the family traits. So when you are born of God's will, with God's seed alive in you, you're going to bear some family resemblance. We shall be like him, John says. And so when you see him as he is, then it's going to be very clear whose family you come from. Does that make sense? You following my logic here? And of course, we're talking not about physical features. We're talking about spiritual traits because God is spirit. So it makes total sense that the family traits that we show would be spiritual ones. Like what? Well, he lists two for our consideration. Victory over sin and love for God's family. As a follower of Jesus, with God's spirit alive in you, what does your future look like between now and eternity? 
as a part of God's family, what is going to show up in you because of him? More victory and more love. More freedom from sin, that's John, 1 John 3, 1 through 10, and more fullness of love, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. So we're going to start with the first sign. He says, one sure sign that you can know that you're in the same family, a true child of God, is seen in your relationship to sin. Verse 5, Christ appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, we've talked about this already. Jesus Christ is our sinless substitute, God in Christ dying on our place on the cross so that we can be completely forgiven. The theological word for that is justification, justified, a definition that can mean just as if I'd never sinned. The penalty our sins deserve from pure justice has been paid in full by God in Christ on the cross, and now we receive the gift by faith. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, like the song we sang about, but we receive it, and then we declare that we are free from guilt and free from condemnation. This is a tremendous gift. But more than guilt-free, John goes on, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now we're talking about another theological reality under the word sanctified. Justified means free from the penalty of our sins, but sanctified means free from the power of our sin by His Spirit, being free from the traps that would hang us up or that would hold us back or that would hold us down from uh, becoming everything that God in Christ wants us to be. So God's power through Christ in you, Easter reality now coming alive in you, is able to break the power of canceled sin. Our shackles can drop and we can rise above the entrapments of our entanglements that have held us back. What that means is that failure does not define God's children. The Father does. <laughs> this is what God's trying, what John is trying to say to us. And part of your inheritance spiritually is growing into your victory from sin. Christ was freed from it, and he wants to bring his freedom to us. Now, when John was writing this letter, he was living in Ephesus, a very pagan, immoral city in first century Rome. Um, it was a cauldron that was seething with the culture of its day. They had false teachers of every kind, pagan religions on every corner. The commercial economy and the local politics in Ephesus in particular uh, were interwoven with the religious cult of Artemis, the fertility goddess. There was a statue that, uh, of Artemis, a multi-breasted figure that they said fell from the sky, and they built a temple around this in uh, Ephesus. And then the archaeologists tell us that the, the women that served in that temple wore very short skirts and had an exposed breast. Homer called Artemis the, quote, lady of wild things, close quote. And Paul, when he was ministering in Ephesus, this very same town, he, talked, he described a riotous mob that was wanting to wreak violence upon him. He called them wild animals, close quote, wild beasts because of their violence. I'm telling you all of that to tell you this. It wasn't the easiest place 
to follow Jesus Christ. But that's where John lived. That's where he wrote this letter. And that's where Christianity made its presence known, right in the middle of that kind of world. So sometimes, why am I telling you this? Because sometimes for us, it feels like we're in a very hard place, doesn't it? And it feels like the pressure is surrounding us and the stress is rising in us and the circumstances are trying to define us and it just feels like the world is coming undone. Well, it did in John's time too. And John was writing to them so that they would know that God has provided for us to become overcomers in this kind of world. God is steadfast, God is sure, and his genes are strong and strong in you. Because becoming a child of God means that God's spiritual inheritance is alive in you and is going to grow through you. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. We do not habitually stay stuck in the practice of sin. That's what that means. Because why? Because God's seed remains in you. And they cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, in verse 4, he tells us what sin is. He says, sin is lawlessness. If you're wondering, what does it sin mean? And lawlessness means I just make my own rules. That's basically what that is. Like our culture saying, oh, I don't have to follow the other rules. I just make my own. Now, on the face of it, that sounds like freedom, doesn't it? I just do what I feel. I push through the rules and I'm free. Only the thing is, after being in the ministry this long and dealing with human beings in a culture like ours this long, I can tell you this, and every addict, recovering addict, knows this is true. Freedom, some things that advertise themselves as freedom, can take you captive. And when you say, well, I'm just going to break the rules and push right on through that and I'll be free, not realizing that it's taking control of you and the doing of it. Whether you're, you're an addict to sex or addicted to drugs or alcohol, I have the privilege of serving on the Agape Ministry Board and we hear testimonies regularly from women that are under our care and the, the clientele there. And I heard one this week. She's 55 years old. And she was talking about how she fell off the wagon again because of drugs. I'm telling you, they take their toll. They take, they, you think, I'm going to be free. But then they start stealing things from you. The habits that hang us up is what he's talking about. And so for some of us, we're just addicted to work. For the others of us, we're addicted to money. We think about it all the time. How do you get free from the things that entrap you and hang you up? John says, God's seed is alive in you and will give you the power to become free from the habits that snag you and try to hold you back. What that means is your tomorrows don't have to look like your yesterdays, that the future can be brighter than your past. It means that we can rise, God's spirit in you, just like Christ rose from the dead. Now we can rise to overcome sin by his spirit's power within us. How do we do it? John says this, now we are the children of God. That's not for some later date. That's now, right now. Now, sometimes I'll tell you what that makes me wonder. If I'm a child of God, then why do I still want to do that? <laughs> why do I still want to sin? Why do sometimes I feel such strong impulses and com compelling desire to not walk with God? Why does that? Where does that come from? Well, what John tells us and what Paul tells us and what Peter tells us here in the New Testament is that you now have two natures at work inside of your soul, two natures at work inside of your body. 
You have a fallen, old, sinful, selfish nature that is addicted to sin that you inherited from the first Adam. And you have a new spiritual nature that is coming alive in you, that is full of life, full of freedom, that comes from the second Adam, Jesus Christ, in the new creation that he is starting to do in our world. And that's why sometimes it just feels like there's this civil war going on inside of you. Like you've got a Jekyll and a Hyde inside your mind. And they're just having it out at each other, you know, taking shots at each other. It's not because you're crazy. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because your salvation is inadequate or flawed. It's because you're growing spiritually and your old nature now has a competitor that is wanting to rise up and raise you to, as an overcomer. And, uh, and the way that it does it is by growing you spiritually in the face of those battles. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is overcoming sin by the power of God's Spirit in you. How do you do it? Well, I, I memorized this poem years ago. Two natures lie within my breast. One is foul, the other blessed. One I love, one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. So the way that you grow and your sanctification is by faith as you feed your new nature the truth of God's word so that you can slice through the deceitfulness of sin and all of those shadow voices that keep telling you, oh, you, no, yes, yeah, you know, all the temptation voices. That's where the battle happens. So am I talking about sinless perfection? No, no. But I am talking about becoming free from the entrapments so that you keep rising until he calls us home. Let me, uh, let me explain it this way. Which is the more true statement? A ship cannot sink. Or a ship can not sink. Which is the most true statement? Probably the second, right? Yeah, they said the Titanic can't and it did. But okay, now how about this one? Which is the more true statement? A Christian cannot sin. Or a Christian can not sin, which is the more true statement. Well, the second one. Then the second one is what John is talking about right here. Just like a boat can not sink if what's on the outside doesn't control what's on the inside, is the, if the water on the outside stays outside and doesn't take control of what's inside, then that boat can stay afloat even if it's surrounded by a sea of water. So likewise in the Christian life. You can overcome sin, not all at once, but one at a time, as long as what's on the outside, the world system of temptation on the outside, doesn't start controlling what's on your inside. And that's what the sanctification journey is about. How do you do that? Well, you learn by faith to yield to God's reign and rule in your life by the Holy Spirit. This is what's behind the request I think Jesus taught us to pray when he said, pray this way, your kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come. Would you reign in my life? Would you rule in my life? And then he said, and your will be done. So that now I'm making room in my agenda, not just to do my thing, but I'm saying, God, would you show up and do your thing? And that's the way it happens. You start growing. 
And yes, we still stumble. Yes, we still fall. But then we can get back up. John said already, he said, now when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So God doesn't slam the door on you and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. No, he keeps searching for us. He keeps bringing us back together. He's never going to give up on us. But day by day and decision by decision, we overcome by faith. And that freedom is your future as a child of God. What does the future look like for true Christ followers? Well, we're getting more free. More free from sin. One sin at a time. One day at a time. But we're growing more free. But we're also getting more full of love. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. It's in his DNA. This is his family trait. Everyone who loves has been born of God. That's how you know they're really in his family. And knows God. Whoever doesn't love, they don't know God. Because God is love. No spiritual DNA there. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is family. Now, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And of course, I can see you, which means I could see God through you as one of his children because his love is made complete in us. It shows up. God's DNA, God's family trait of love is seen in us. Verse 16 goes on. God is love. And whoever loves lives in God and God in him. See, it's in the family tree. It's in the line of God's life. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For anyone who doesn't love his brother and sister whom he can see cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. This is why I love us being able to get back together so that we can feel the love. It was wonderful on Easter to celebrate the joy and feel the love. It's wonderful when we can get together in our physical campuses and start shortening the social distance. We're still safe, but we're present to love one another. That's what he's talking about here. Love is God's essence. Love is God's command. Love in us is the evidence that we are truly God's kids. And that's what our future is looking like. As we grow to be more like him, we grow in victory, we grow in love. Now what that doesn't mean is that we, uh, that we always get along. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we don't have our differences, that we never disagree. It doesn't mean, well, actually the disciples of Jesus when you just look at their story, the disciples of Jesus, the leaders of the early church, they didn't always get along. They had some very severe disagreements that caused them to part company sometimes. Like Paul and Barnabas, they disagreed about a relationship with a guy named Mark, John Mark, and it pulled them apart for a while. Now, they eventually came back together, but that was a severe disagreement. Uh, Paul wrote to two women, Syntyche and Euodias, in his letter to Philippi. These were leaders in the church, leading women in the church, and he writes to them because there was some kind of issue that was between them that was messing with them, and he said, now, come on, you know, love one another. James and John, the John that wrote this letter that we're reading right now, these are the two brothers that wanted to call fire from heaven down and burn up a village of people that had just rejected Jesus. 
They said, this is nuke them, Lord. You know, the world would be a better place without them. We're not going to miss them. But it was that John who is now writing to us saying, love one another. To live above with saints we love, oh, how that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's another story. But that's the story that we're living with one another here as people under construction. We're not there yet. We don't have it all together. In our journey to victory over sin, you know what happens sometimes when you live in a close enough range to other sinners? You get sinned on. It splashes on you, right? And sometimes you sin on other people. And sometimes you do it without even knowing it. Sometimes you do it on purpose, and it hurts. This is the family that we're talking about. This is the reality that we're living in. That's how it is in family. And that's why growing together and showing up to keep loving one another in the midst of our overcoming is so significant. Maybe you've heard that there are four words for love in the Greek language. Go through them real quickly. Storge, which is natural affection, family affection. Philea, which is a friendship. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Eros, the sensual romantic love. And then agape, God's kind of love. God's quality of love that always seeks what's best for the other. This is the way God loves us. Guess which Greek word John writes in his letter? Agape. Of course. The kind that is unconditional but committed to what's best for the other. Agape love says this. It doesn't say, I love you if, or I love you when, or I love you but. It just says, I love you, period. And this is the way God loves us. Now, see, that's what we're growing in because we haven't fully overcome yet. We, I, you know, I don't, that language I have to grow into for it to be real in my experience, but that's what he's talking about here. How does God show this love? Verse 10, in sending Jesus Christ as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How are we supposed to show that kind of love then? Well, by sharing and serving one another too. By sacrificing, by taking the hit as Jesus did. By sharing grace and then by showing forgiveness to each other on our journey. So, back up a little bit. What does the future look like for us as part of God's family between now and eternity? What has God given us in his family traits? He's given us his spirit. He's given us more freedom from sin and more fullness of agape love. Now, what I can't promise you is that if you make that journey with us at Christ's journey, that you're never going to get your feelings hurt right? I can't promise you that as part of this church, you're always going to agree with those around you. I can't promise you that you won't have differences and misunderstandings. But what I can't tell you, any more than I can tell you, you're going to have that in your family, in your marriage, in your church. This is part of the journey. But what I can tell you is this. I have seen those disagreements actually lead to closer community and to increased harmony on the other side through agape love. I've seen it happen with men and women. I've seen it happen in marriages. I've seen it happen in parenting. I've seen it happen with couples who split up and then came back together. I've seen it happen with, uh, I've lived it. I've seen and experienced what relational counselors say that just on the other side of conflict is the opportunity for deeper intimacy, closer connection, Conflict plus agape love 
can bring stronger connection. And that's what the people's future is about in John's mind. We're going to grow in overcoming sin, and we're going to grow closer in fighting for each other in community, in love. And as God's character starts showing up in us, and the family traits are demonstrated in us, even in our flaws and our mistakes and our misunderstandings, then we're going to create a community of connection where uh, we get more freed up as we love one another better. But we're a work in progress. We're under construction. So how can we show love? I'll make just a couple of suggestions as we wind up or wind down. Three ways. Patience, kindness, and forbearance. What if we just start there for this week? Don't take on the next month, just this week. For the love that you're sharing and the overcoming that you desire, just try these. Patience, which means a longer fuse before you explode. Kindness, which means being there for another person to help. And forbearance, which means I'm going to forgive you before you even offend me. Forbearance is front-loaded forgiveness. Forbearance means that I'm going to forgive you before you ever have a chance to offend me, you're already forgiven. Imagine this. If you start, before you started your day that you chose to forgive everybody and every offense that was going to come at you that day because you're going to live out of your father's DNA all day long. Imagine how it would feel to lay your head down on your pillow at night grudge-free because you had already released every snag that was coming your way before it even got to you and you've been practicing God's love all day. That's forbearance. It's meant to set you free and to help you overcome. And then kindness. Kindness means you can count on me to help in your journey. I'm thinking now of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, that scene toward the end where Frodo and Sam are almost to Mordor. And Frodo is going to cast that ring that has been charged, his charge to carry into the fiery abyss and be free from it, right? Now, if you've made the journey with Frodo and Sam, you know they have had some severe disagreements along the way. They have not always seen eye to eye. They have been distanced from one another. They've been upset with each other. And, and yet now, they're together outside of Mordor, and Frodo is like totally done. He's spent. He's left it all. He's exhausted. He can't take another step. In fact, he has collapsed, and the ring has burdened him once again. And, and Sam leans over him. He says, come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And then he hoists him to his shoulders and takes their next step together. That's kindness. Showing up for each other to carry the burden and to take the steps when we don't feel like we can. Now, we're coming to the Lord's table today not because we're strong enough to get there by ourselves, because we're not. We need help. I need Jesus to carry me. You need Jesus to carry you. Sometimes we need each other to help each other just take the next step so that we can bring our burdens and what we've, it's been loading us down to just cast it away. I'm thinking that somebody here may be carrying some pretty heavy burdens for a while. This is the time to to go ahead and, uh, and get your communion elements ready. At home, you want to go ahead and bring them out or on our physical sites if you want to take the uh, 
the cup and open up that top portion where the bread is. I want to suggest to you that before we come to receive the gift of God's grace once again, that we would say, Lord, I got some things I need to lay down. Is there something that has been weighing you down that his spirit is saying it's time to let it go? You've been carrying this too long. Some shame, some guilt. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's despair. And it just seems to be closing in and you've been holding on to it and it's tangling you up. And he said, no, this is about overcoming. You gotta let that go. And you just throw that like a ring into the fire right now. This is a burden that's not yours to bear. So let it go. In your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, let it go. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Forgive your spouse. Forgive your friend. Forgive your child. Forgive your parent. Forgive yourself. You've been holding on to something and it has been holding on to you and you don't realize, but he's been taking you down. This is the time Jesus says, you've got to let that go. I took all of that in myself on the tree so that you wouldn't. And here's where we take the bread. Jesus took the bread. And here's what I want you to do as we receive the remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. As we chew, I want you to chew on that bread and remember this, that what God was doing in Christ was letting the teeth of divine justice grind every bit of the entrapments that the law brings to our hearts that creates guilt and shame and holds us captive. It's like God was chewing through the bonds of your snares so that you can throw them off. Jesus said, my body was broken for you. Why? So you could be free. And then we take the cup. So we open the cup together and remember that Jesus, on the very night he was betrayed, took this cup and he said, this is my, my blood the new covenant in my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of your sin, for the remission of your sin, for the absolute removal of your sin, for the washing away, the freeing up, the forgiveness of your sin. Forgive yourself. Let it go. Forgive others. Let it go. And as we taste the sweetness of this cup, let's remember that in that hard place, God has made the hard place sweet. Why? So that we could let it go. That's what we're going to do now. With the way the elements came to you, you can just place them right back in that bag. And we're going to remember that what God is desiring to do from us is to take every evidence as far as the east is from the west that he has removed it from us. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. And now lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We make our prayer in your name. Amen.